Chapter Seven of Tilda Jane's Orphans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dini Stain in Kelowna, Canada. Tilda Jane's Orphans by Marshall Saunders. Chapter Seven. His Only Son. He turned sharply around. Someone wished to come in the low French window, and to his surprise he discovered the dark face of the irrepressible orphan, a face subdued and calm, however, and with a decidedly red nose. She had been crying. In obedience to her pleading gesture, he unfastened the window and slowly opened it. Sir, gasped the little girl quickly but gently, I've not got one drop of breath left, but I've come to say that you were ugly to me just now, and I was ugly to you, and I'm sorry, and I guess you are too. I ought to forgive you for not forgiving Grandpa, and I'll tell you about your son. Come up close so no one will hear. Mr. Waysmith did not like the informality of this second interview. Yet his strange caller had so whetted his curiosity that he was extremely anxious to hear what she had to say, and he invited, or rather commanded her, to enter the room. Tilda Jane obeyed him, pantingly, and fairly dropping in a seat, she began in excited sentences. That curly-haired boy of yours is getting to be a young man, but I guess to you he seems like a little fellow yet and I, though I dare say he's more than eighteen, feel like he was a child, and I can just see him peeking over the edge of one of those pits the Bible tell us of. Maybe you don't know some good French people that live next Grandpa's. The man works in the Penobscot Bakery, and his wife's a great friend of mine, and she tells me there's a bad Cajun way down at the end of French Row by the river, and he lets big boys come to his house and play cards for money. Mr. Waysmith looked hard and unbelieving. His son was in the house every night of his life. Tilda Jane's eyes were devouring his face. You don't credit me, sir. Well, you just watch, and if I could tell you how it makes me shiver to set you spying on that nice son of yours, you'd pity me. But it's to save his soul, sir, for the French people are very firm about curbing children, and they say he runs with a bad set of young men at the Cajuns not french boys sir they're town boys and they don't go in the evenings when you might be apt to smell a rat but they go afternoons when college is out and you think they're at that place where they leap and play it's something like a man's name jim something gymnasium supplied mr waysmith that's it sir they say they'll cut jim and they run to the frenchman's you lie and wait for them sir you'll see Mr. Waysmith showed no other sign of emotion than a profound thoughtfulness, but Tilda Jane was apprehensive. Don't get mad with him, sir, please don't, she said pleadingly. The lady boards used to get mad with me, and it didn't do a mite of good, but if anyone talked soft, I just broke all up. I guess if you take him with you, sir, or get him in with nice boys, he'd be all right, and don't let him know I told on him, sir. Mr. Waysmith's eyes were fixed on the carpet. He believed now every word that the girl was saying, but he was filled with a profound chagrin. He knew the duplicity of some forms of young manhood. 
yet he had imagined that his lad was a transparent lad that every thought in his youthful breast was open to him and that he could read his guileless face as he could read a book and this son this model son had been deceiving him and moreover had been taking pleasure in the deceit however he must dismiss this girl and raising his head he said hastily i thank you for your information may i ask you to tell no other person of this i wouldn't blab sir not if you gave me another dog said tilda jane earnestly if you knew what i've gone through before i could screw myself up to say this much it was as if you were the dentist sir and you had your tongs all ready to haul out one of my teeth good night sir don't get in any cave of despair about your son for the good french people say he isn't cut out for any card sharper they said as how you'd fetch him round all right good night said mr waysmith calmly and going to the window he unlocked it and though tilda jane threw him several pleading glances he gave her no assurances either with regard to grandpa or datus he's thinking it over murmured tilda jane's he's slower than a tortoise but maybe he'll get there quicker than the hare which is me mr waysmith stood watching the little dark figure scurrying down the path then closing the window he stood leaning heavily against the frame his boy an incipient gambler what what could he do how could he control this youthful fever how could he a reserved phlegmatic man express to the volatile youth his intense affection for him perhaps he had not been enough with him perhaps he had been too cold too uninterested in the boy's pursuits no it was not that datus knew that he loved him datus was proud of him as a father there was something lacking in the boy's make-up he had a weak sense of honour and he was self-indulgent he did not consider the end and now probably he had got in with enticing companions and was following their lead now that he thought of it charlie true one of his best friends was the son of a man who belonged to a family notorious for their love of gambling the father did not live at home but the lad had probably inherited the family proclivity after some time he roused himself and went into the hall where is mr datus he asked addressing irish mary who was locking the front door he's just gone up to his bed sir and i don't think he's been after coming down since he went up ask him to come down to the library he went back to his room and sat down by the fire and presently his son appeared careless and unsuspecting you caught me in the nick of time papa i was just going to undress do you want something why do you stand in that hunchback fashion asked his father irritably straighten your shoulders boy datus took a more soldier-like attitude but mr waysmith continued in the same dissatisfied tone i'm spending a good deal of money on athletics for you but i don't see that your figure improves what time do you go to the gymnasium at four o'clock sir when afternoon classes are over i will meet you there tomorrow and have a talk with your teacher he's neglecting you according to your appearance stretch out your hand datus going from red to white extended a pretty girlish hand soft and flabby said his father i shall have something to say to what is your instructor's name mcintyre said datus feebly 
he must be scamping his work said mr waysmith disdainfully i met your friend true to-day and he looks as white as milk and just about as flabby as you don't you ever run on that outdoor track yes sir said datus almost inaudibly the young man was doing a rapid amount of thinking did his father know anything if he did how much did he know would it not be better to undeceive him now than to have him confronted with mcintyre to-morrow and have a painful explanation at the gymnasium mcintyre was an honorable man he would not lie he would tell mr waysmith frankly that his son had not been coming to his classes regularly papa said datus stammeringly i must confess to you that i have not been going to the gymnasium every day why not asked his father bluntly well sir i that is true and i and some of the fellows found it slow and we've been going to other places to the rink inquired mr waysmith have you been skating not much lately sir we go to different places sometimes downtown has it occurred to you that this non-attendance at the gymnasium was a breach of contract on your part if you no longer wish to go why did you not ask me to permit you to leave i have been paying out hard-earned money for instruction you did not receive i'm sorry papa ejaculated datus with a crimson face i did not look at it in that light it was hard on you i will begin to-morrow and go regularly but what about the past said his father calmly how will you make that right datus hesitated an instant then he said frankly i don't know please tell me sir you are actually asking for advice said mr waysmith musingly you a modern stripling well that is a step in advance we old fellows were made to sit at the feet of our parents when young and take advice whether we wanted it or not and were also made to act upon it the present generation thinks itself wiser than its fathers i don't think myself wiser than you said datus humbly luxury is spoiling you continued his father still in a musing tone i had little as a boy not enough perhaps having obtained a fortune i delight in lavishing it on my children you've had toys pets fine clothes trips abroad more than you can stand poor lad i have weakened you instead of strengthening you in common with thousands of other rich men's sons you are agreeably wending your way to the dogs and when i say dogs i don't mean dogs you mean devil said datus with a gleam of humor in his blue eyes yes my lad and that you can take my statement so coolly shows the weak sappy moral fibre you've been running to now what are we going to do about this datus uncomfortably stubbed his toe back and forth against a footstool are you willing to help me in trying to make a man of yourself asked mr waysmith calmly datus gave him a reproachful glance i want to be a good smart man sir just like you his father's face softened you have not been afraid of me datus you have not felt that i was uninterested in you oh no sir only you are so taken up with your business i hate to disturb you though i'd often like to talk to you he added frankly mr waysmith winced and his eyes fell before the youthful ones fixed in admiration on him perhaps i have been partly to blame he said slowly in future we will mend that 
Now, Datus, you want discipline. The lad shuddered, but said bravely, All right, sir. When you play cards, do you mostly win or lose? asked his father. Datus's face became a fiery red. His father knew about his card parties. Sir, he said hesitatingly, I mostly lose, but I have a few winnings here, and he jingled some loose coin in his pocket. How much? asked Mr. Waysmith briefly. Count it. Datus drew out the silver. One dollar and forty cents, he said shamefacedly. Give it to Mr. Tracy for his poor people. You will, of course, not go to the Acadians any more. No, sir, and I promise you not to touch a card again until you give me leave. Very good so far. Now, what has your allowance for pocket money been? Seven dollars a week, sir. Simpleton that I've been, said Mr. Waysmith angrily. Some families live on less. I cut your allowance down to a dollar fifty a week. Your clothes and books and foods are bought for you. Why should a mere stripling like you have seven dollars a week? Upon my word, it is the fault of two indulgent parents that their boys go astray. Some fellows have more, suggested Datus. Trusty fellows might have a hundred a week, retorted Mr. Waysmith. Weaklings like you should have a nickel only at a time. Datus winced, but said nothing. Every day after college is over, you report to me at the mill, said Mr. Waysmith. I'll find work there for you to do, and if I discover that you are deceiving me in any way, I shall pack you right off to your grandfather's. Not to that farm in the woods, asked Datus in dismay. The same, so toe the mark if you want to stay here. There's no college there, remarked Datus. There's a school that was good enough for me when I was a lad, and it is better now, but if you go there, it will be to do farm work. There are hardly any neighbors, pursued Datus. Not a chap my own age. All the better. Middle-aged and old men won't lead you into mischief. I guess I'll behave myself and stay here, said Datus shrewdly. You won't send me away from you, will you, Daddy? And he laid a cajoling hand on his father's arm. Mr. Waysmith turned and looked him in the eyes. For a few seconds they remained motionless the man sitting staring into the relieved and roguish face so near his own. The lad was as quiescent as his father. He was weak in some ways, yet there was a strain of bravery in him. Go to bed, boy, said Mr. Waysmith, shaking off the caressing hand. There's something about your mental makeup that I don't like, but maybe we'll straighten you out. Datus suddenly flung his arm around the broad shoulders near him, and after giving them a boyish, bearish hug, he scampered from the room. Mr. Waysmith sat shaking his head by the fire. What is wrong with the boys of today? The riches of our hearts and our pockets are lavished on them, and yet they are shrewd and commercial in their instincts, and at the same time self-indulgent and short-sighted. There must be something wrong with our system of education. It's all hard intellect. That boy wants heart culture. I've more genuine affection for him in my little finger than he has for me in his whole body. And yet he makes more show with what he has than I do with all I have, that he hasn't. I don't know what I'm to do unless I stop doing. He has had everything since he was born, and he does nothing for anybody. Perhaps that's it. He's in the grip of egotism and is being slowly eaten up. 
I'll set him to work serving others. He doesn't know the joy of service, and he doesn't understand the value of money. I was a mischievous boy in some ways, but I never was a rogue, and I was crammed with ambition. Then my father was a poor man. The merchant sat for some time in deep reverie. Then he said aloud, How men are misjudged! That young orphan here tonight thinks I'm a hard-hearted monster, and my Datus is an earthly paragon. She once begged from me on the train, and I, a man pestered to death with little demoralized children teasing for pennies, would not, as I thought, contribute to her degradation. Datus, without a care of her welfare, gave to her. As it happened, hers was a deserving case. She is out of the common. I will help her if possible, but first I must look into Dilson's affair. Hey ho! And rising, he stretched out his arms with a perplexed gesture. They say children are a blessing from the Lord, a thorny blessing in some cases. End of chapter 7